0: Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Meadle, joined as always by Chris Bouguet. Hey, Chris.
1: Hey, Rachel. How's it going?
0: It's good. So what you got for me this week?
1: Well, so I got a quick story. So I got to dump beads on my head this week. <laughs> um, so you know that now I'm is uh, an administrator role and I don't get to be out, you know, playing with the kids as much as I used to, but this past week I had to kind of fill in for and do an uh, assisted technology evaluation for AAC. And so we were trying to figure out, um, we had kind of whittled it down to a couple different options and then we were trying a couple different things. And so I was playing with this kid on the the ground and what she loved was this bucket of beads and the beads were not like I mean, they're like Mardi Gras beads. You know what I mean? They're like necklaces, yeah. you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And so they were all in this bucket and I was shaking them around. She got a little interest in it, a little interested, in But then when I dumped those beads over my head, oh my gosh, and she start laughing and she started going, go, 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 you know?
0: Uh, oh. <laughs>
1: for me to keep dumping them. And then we'd pick them all up and we'd put them back in together. Her and I were totally in it together, right? And then I'd hold it up and she'd look at me again and she'd be like, go! And I'd dump it on my head. So it was, and then uh, she wanted it dumped on her. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. so it was, you can only dump it on your head so many times.
0: Yes, (laughs) exactly. So let's let's break this down. I'm really intrigued and curious, Chris. So how many, so I'm assuming you set up the activity, you modeled Go and then- That's exactly right. She was able to follow that model, correct? Well, yeah,
1: so the way I did it was um, the app that we that we had at first was uh, completely unmasked, so it was all the icons it uh, had eighty four cells, you might guess that's the lamp words for life is what we were trying and um so it had 84 cells, and, and she was kind of randomly hitting everything. Mm. So we turned on the uh, vocab builder and narrowed it down to just a handful. Uh, so Go was there, More was there, and she was mm. completely unfamiliar with this app. You know, she had never seen it before. Right. So broke it down to one hit and then Tried the activity again, right? So because she, she was just kind of slapping at things at first, um, with the idea that we wouldn't necessarily live there, you know, we might start unmasking quickly. But her first introduction to this particular app, and she was able to, you know, start like I said, hitting go, 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 go. Now she had seen me model go before. We had gone on a little walk together, and I was pressing go with no expectation that she would do it. It was when we got back to the room that we started to, you know, I kind of like gave more wait time. For and I did that temptation thing where I'm shaking the, the be- you can't, no one can see me, but I'm shaking this fictional thing of beads in my hands right now in front of Rachel's face. Look, look at my beads. <laughs> I'm <laughs> tempted, go, go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, uh, so, I, you know, I, I, I said, I'd modeled it a handful of times before um, she did it and this girl then she was using some verbal as well so she was saying go as well so she was hitting mm-hmm. the the button and saying go sometimes not all not every time sometimes she just used the uh, the AAC app um but we were gathering evidence that yep she she knows how to do this, you know?
0: Love it. Love it. I actually was just, I was writing captions for all of our social media today. I tend to do it in bulk because I'm just a bulk kind of person. I like to like get in one state of mind and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do 40 captions today. <laughs> and so one of them was setting up Um, an expectation with a phrase. And so ready, set, go came to mind when you told that story because that's one that I oftentimes work on with kids. It's so easy and they know what to expect, right? So you start start with ready, set, go, and you model on the device go and you keep going through that routine. And then you can start ready, set, go, and pause and kids automatically want to fill in the blank, right? They, they think go. Um, and so it's really cool. And it doesn't have to be with just ready, set, go. That's a very common one. Same thing with on. Turn it on, um, I do turn it on a lot, um, and it's actually a really great strategy for early intervention too. For you know, kids who aren't necessarily using AAC, um, I was giving this suggestion to a good friend of mine. Um, her little boy is so cute. He, for whatever reason, only says off. So even when he means to say on, he's saying off, which is very common when kids are learning these concept words, right? Mm-hmm. But it's so cute, and I'm like, when I was home for the break, she's in. Uh, she lives in New Jersey, and she's a good friend of mine from graduate school. And I was with her and I'm like, I'm going to get this kid to say on by the time I leave this house. (laughs) And I was working with him for like 15 minutes. Um, We were of course watching, I think it was baby shark. He wanted me to turn baby shark on. And I was using that preparatory set or that phrase, turn it on. And eventually right before I left, he said it. And I was like, yes, I was so excited. Um, But that's a really great strategy to use during therapy because everyone knows what to expect. Kids know what to expect. And then they start filling in the blanks and then you fade it, right? Um, You don't have to keep doing it. um, Just like following the prompting hierarchy and fading those those cues and those supports. But um, it's a really fun thing to do and kids really respond pretty well to it.
1: I could not agree more. And like you said, so much fun. It's so much fun.
0: Exactly. I wish I was there dumping beads on on my head. When you first said that, Chris, I was imagining water beads. I was like, that feels messy. <laughs>
1: Yeah. When I put that all on a tweet and someone was writing, did you have to clean up all those beads? Like, no, I have to explain. It's like these, the Mardi Gras beads, Uh, which was super fun. I knew that I was missing it. So it was really great to actually get out there and, you know, be hands-on with the kids. You know, a lot of what I've been doing this year has been professional development and training of of teachers. And I can go see and I observe sometimes, but I'm not really in there in the muck. Do you know what Mm, I mean? mm -hmm. I want to get the paint paint on my hands and my face. And I want to, you know, be peeling glue off my fingertips. And, you know, I just want to, uh, I want to be in there, you know, playing. I, I think I put on my tweet that it was, uh, it was a Friday. So and I put Friday fun day and it was like good for the soul. You know what I mean? Like totally. whenever you need to just remember why, why you're doing this, you just got to be in there with the kids and, uh, and doing it.
0: Exactly. And you have to have those moments of connection where you're totally in flow i'll never forget i had a graduate was it graduate school no it was an undergrad course when i was in college and it was called um intro to creativity which is such an interesting title uh, but it was an art class Uh, And it was all dedicated to creativity. So for our homework assignments, we would have to go see like a live poetry reading or a dance performance. Um, So it went through all the different forms of art, but it really talked about this concept of flow. And when we're in our creative element in our zone of genius, we do what's called flow. And we're not thinking about anything else. We're really in the moment. And I feel like in my therapy, that's the best sessions. I actually had that session last Thursday. Um, I was working with a kid who has some very challenging behaviors and is hard to motivate to do anything. And I know him really well and I know everything he's really interested in. And some days even that is not engaging for him. And he just had a totally on day. And I was just like, I was in flow. I was just like, oh my God, this is so great. He's saying so much. Let me try this. What about that? And it was just like, after the session, I was inspired. I was like, reinvigorated. I just felt so excited. And it's just those reminders when you say, ah, this is why I do it. This is exactly why I do what I do. Yeah, I really
1: know that uh, that feeling of flow. I felt that way when I'm writing, you know, when mm-hmm. I was writing the book, uh, both both books or when I was writing short stories with my wife and things like that. There would be times when you're writing an article, you know, or whatever, where it doesn't even feel like I'm writing it. It feels like it's I'm just channeling the words that exist in this thing that's happening, flowing over my head. And uh, it's just coming out of I, I, I'm just the the conduit for it. Um, and that's what I feel like flow is, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I totally feel that way with uh, when you're with when you're just jiving with a kid and it's this great experience. or really with an adult when I, when you're in a great coaching session or you're chatting uh, and you're brainstorming and you're just in it and the time just disappears. you know and you're like, what what it's really? The thirty minutes is up are you kidding me? like we got to go, oh, I didn't even realize because you're just so in it, you know and it's a it's a great place to be.
0: Yeah, we need to aspire to more to more flow. Um and I think the first step is just like getting rid of the distractors, right? So often, you know, if our phone buzzes or our computer goes off or, you know, all these things can disrupt um, you know, that moment. And so I'm really pretty strict with myself to not let those things come into a session, Um, you know, easier said than done, right? Because the draw of technology is so strong sometimes. Um, But I try to not have notifications on and things like that, especially when I'm in sessions, because I really want the kid to have my undivided attention and to really try to achieve that, that state of flow.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, so the people that are that, uh, participating in the interview know a little bit about flow in that they help kids do what's called the AT Maker Challenge. And when the kids are really doing these challenges, they're in flow, right? It's like they're not coming to these sorts of events because they have to. They're coming there because they want to, you know? And I find that with, with flow as well is that when it's something I want to do, I can much more easily get into it, you know? Where if, mm-hmm. it's, a, if it's something that I'm really struggling, with, I don't really want to do it, then, then really getting into it becomes that much more of a of a lift you know so this is I know
0: I'm thinking about my taxes I'm like oh no (laughs) talking about like dreading to do something like I need to finish all my expense reports for the year
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I know I just put that on our calendar um with my wife we sit down and we do it all day on a Saturday someday just sit down and do it all together that's
0: that's, you're bulking it out like that's typically what I do I'm like oh cool I'll do all my expense reports for the entire year and in six hours (laughs)
1: So let me tell you about Matt and David. So, um, well, they're going to tell about themselves, so I won't spend too much time other than to say, Matt, I met at one of the presentations I was doing out in Arizona, um, uh, maybe two years ago now. Uh, and then he, I saw him again just this past year when I, you know, re- redid the uh, the presentation. And uh, he had to leave early when he said, Chris, I, I'm, I'm sorry, it's nothing against you. I just have to go to this AT maker challenge thing. And I'm like, wait, what? What? Tell me about this, you know, before you go. And so he was telling me about it and I said, hey, would you want to come on the podcast and talk about how you challenge these kids? Because he works with all different students to do this AT Maker Challenge. So there's that and even more that they're going to talk about. But this episode is all about getting kids to make stuff to help students with disabilities.
0: Uh, Sounds right up my alley. I can't wait to hear what these guys have to say. But before we head into the interview, Chris, we have a really big announcement to make. we do? What is it? I can't wait to find out what it is. Chris, you know what it is. (laughs) I do. We've spent so much time working on this, but we have a Patreon site now.
1: We do. We spent hours and hours trying to figure out how to do this and why to do this. And one of the things we came up with is that doing the podcast is not free. Uh, We have to pay for the feed. I mean, our time is one thing, but the feed is really, we actually have to shell out money for that. And so we thought we get so many people asking how they can support the podcast. This is the way that you could do it.
0: And we also have a huge team behind us, right? We have an amazing audio editor who edits all of the audio that we send her. Michaela, we love you. Uh, We also have a producer, Luke Paget, who does all of our show notes and finds. I can't believe how he finds every single person we interview. He finds their headshot, he finds all the important information about them, Um, he synthesizes the episodes and post them all over social media. So it's not just Chris and I. And so if you are interested in supporting our podcast, we now have a way for you to do that. You can go to our Patreon site. Uh, The website, you can get to it at is patreon.com backslash talkingwithtech or you could always go to our bit.ly link, bit.ly backslash twtpod. And we're asking people to, to support us by giving $8 a month, which comes out to $2 per episode. So if you love this podcast, which I know you guys do because you come up to me at conferences telling me how much you love it, um, now you can show us how much you love it. Um, you can really help support us so that we can keep doing what we're doing because the reality is we love you guys, but It's a lot of time commitments across so many different people. And we really just want to figure out a way to sustain this.
1: I couldn't agree more. And uh, like you said, Luke is like a private investigator the way he investigates all and gets all that information from everybody. Michaela is a wizard making us sound all the, the, we should, one, one of these days we should release one of the, the, uh, the, the blooper reel, you know, that she cuts out.
0: <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I'd be, I'd be really nervous for that day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but they donate their time to do this, and so this would give us a way to pay them for their efforts. So one more time, Rachel, how do people reach out and, and participate in the Patreon?
0: So you can go to patreon.com backslash with Tech, or you could reach it at our bit.ly link, bit.ly backslash pod.
1: Without further ado, here's my interview with Matt LeVac and David Reno. Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here today with two gentlemen. Uh, Matt, this is Matt LeVac, right, Matt? Am I saying your last name right?
2: You're pretty close. Yeah, Matt LeVac. No worries.
1: And Matt, you and I have met a couple times. That's how this interview kind of uh, uh, transpired or got the idea for it, is that uh, you and I have met a couple times out in Arizona, and uh, you attended a couple trainings, and we started talking about uh, uh, assistive technology and making and AT making, and you're just like, oh, I'm doing these things. In fact, you had to leave early a couple times because you had to go to events uh, about AT making and AT Makers Club. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's correct. The first training I went to, actually, yeah, I left early, um, and it's not necessarily a work san- sanction event. It's an event I volunteer for, so I had to tell my supervisor at the time that I had to leave early to this AT training. Luckily, you know, she was cool with it. But um, but yeah, yeah, I was uh, super excited to go to your trainings, and then that one time there was a little bit of a scheduling conflict. So
1: now we're also here with David, and David. So I don't mess up your last name. How do you say your last name?
2: Uh, just like
3: the city in Nevada, Reno.
1: Reno. So, David Reno. And tell us about who you are and what you do.
3: Sure. So, David Reno. I work at Southwest Human Development. I'm in charge of donor partnerships here. And so, I oversee fundraising. So, that's going to be some event planning, some individual gifts, and a lot of uh, corporate partnerships, which is kind of how this event got, got started. But um, day-to-day, I'm a fundraiser.
1: Cool. And can you talk a little bit about Southwest human development? Now I've heard of them and I remember years and years ago, uh, you know, I work, I work out in the East coast, I'm in Virginia, but I grew up in Buffalo and I was thinking, oh, uh, you know, what if I moved out to Arizona and live there and what would that be like? And I remember looking up advertisements for different places that were hiring speech therapists. And I remember Southwest as a, as an option. Is that fair? Is that still, uh, what, what is, uh, what is that organization? Yeah.
3: Absolutely. So we are a very large early childhood nonprofit focusing on young children aged birth to five. And we have a huge range of programs. We actually have over 40 programs. So we've got disability services under the Easter SEALs wing. But we also do um, child welfare, ongoing PT and OT. We have developmental services. We run some Head Start classrooms. We give away over 100,000 books a year in the early literacy space. So basically any child, five and under, we have some program that they can benefit from. And then, you know, the bigger the problem, the more we can do.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. And
2: then- I was going to say, fun fact real quick. I didn't tell David about this, but I actually use Southwest Human Development their resources for my three-year-old who was having trouble potty training, and then uh, just because obviously working with David in the event, I said, "Hey, we're we're out of options. We need to give these guys a call." And they actually sent us some books on potty training. Um, and thankfully, you know, he was just was a late bloomer in that department. But uh, it was a it was a super easy process. You call them up, and they were more eager the help, and they even followed up on on my son and his well-being. So it's a great organization, Southwest Human Development.
1: No, oh, that's great. Now, so, Matt. So, besides being a, a parent, what do you do? Yeah.
2: Um, so, I'm an occupational therapist by trade. Uh, I work at a private day school here in Phoenix called Excel, um, and we service all school age children's uh, age five to twenty two. Usually, what happens is if they're unsuccessful in a different um, environment, they come to Excel. So, we get a lot of district replacements or placements. Um, mostly, you know, students with any kind of behavioral concerns, and then uh, we have some students with different medical abilities as well, or motor abilities, should say. And so that kind of got me into the, uh, the obviously the AT field, to trying to get them more access to, you know, communication and their curriculum and education. Um, and then I realized, uh, you know, funding's always a, a difficulty. So then I started trying to make it myself. And then that kind of led me to reach out to different resources and that's how I reached out to Adapt Shop because uh, they were doing some great things over there and we were doing some adapted seating stuff at our school um, and was just trying to learn more and then I uh, got connected with, with David and then the rest is kind of history when it comes to the event.
1: So let's talk about that. The, um, uh, so how, how did you two meet again exactly?
2: So uh, um, being at Excel, right, uh, there was obviously a need uh, for different assistive technologies for our students. One of them was adapted seating Um, And then I heard about the adapt shop through a a physical therapist. that worked at the school at the time Um, And she was saying, you know, you know, if you want to learn more You should try them first because obviously they make their own chairs They have all this great equipment um, They have an OT and PT on staff and they take kids and it's just awesome And so I was pretty much referred to them through a colleague of mine Um, And so I reached out and on the day of my tour of the adapt shop uh, David and then a fellow who used to be the, the fabricator uh, named Brady Fulton was there and they kind of gave me a tour of the shop and we got to talk a little bit. And and right at that same time, um, I heard a, a webinar by Bill Binko on AT making. Um, so my mind was kind of racing on, on all these ideas on, oh, like, let's not worry about Purchasing like adapted, uh, adapted seating, Let's just start creating ourselves. Um, I found out it's a little bit more difficult <laughs> than it seems um, and they do obviously a very unique work at the adapt shop. Um, but that initial conversation of me going there and, and taking a tour and talking with David um, was right when he was starting to, to develop the makers of change challenge. Um, and it was right when I was, you know, heard Bill Binko's webinar and was kind of getting into making and I thought, no, this would be great. Um, I, you know, I just really wanted to be a part of it. So um, after that, we, you know, David did all the meetings and all the all the hard work. After that,
1: so so let me break that down a little bit for people that aren't aren't familiar, like including me. So, what is the Adapt Shop? What is that exactly? What's the mission of that, and what do people do there?
3: Sure, sure. So, the Adapt Shop is one of the programs of Southwest Human Development. It falls under our Easter Seals Disability Services. And what we do there is we see very, very young kids with physical disabilities and we custom fabricate whatever equipment they need to be successful. So um, the majority of what we do is seating based. So custom making seats, you know, one offs for individual kids and their needs. And that's a partnership between a physical therapist, our fabricator, and then obviously the child and their family. Um, and then we do a lot of other things in the adapt shop. We let kids test walkers will adapt off the shelf equipment to help it meet the kids needs a little bit better. Um, and all of it's uh, very young children. And, uh, yeah. So when I first started about five years ago, Brady, uh, Fulton who was mentioned before came on staff and we were using a Turkey knife, you know, one of those rotating knives that you'd use to cut up Turkey dinner, electric mm-hmm. knife, to make these seating. So we are you know, just c- plopping a kid down on a piece of paper, outlining the little bottoms and, you know, cutting the seat that way. And Brady came in and he said, "Wait a minute, guys, there's a better way to do this." He went to a local maker space, started using a CNC machines to fabricate the chairs, um, moved into, you know, laser cutters and 3D printing, and, you know, through the generosity of the Thunderbirds and some other local partners, we were able to actually acquire that equipment and start custom-making this stuff in-house um, at the adapt shop.
1: What are the Thunderbirds?
3: Uh, the Thunderbirds is a local uh, charity group. They run the Phoenix open um, and all of the profits from the Phoenix open, that big golf event, they reinvest back into the community. So they were the group that allowed us to go ahead and, and make the big purchase of a CNC machine um, as well as much of the other equipment that we use um, on a daily basis there.
1: All right, so I'm going to dig in here deeper because a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are speech therapists, so they won't necessarily—I mean, I don't—I I hope this isn't biased—but that they but might not know what a CNC machine is. Can you describe that and and
3: what it's used for? Uh, Matt, can you talk about that?
2: Yeah, yeah. So a CNC machine is. If you wanna think about what it does, it's like a 3D printer, but it uses different parts. Um, it's a, a big drill that's controlled by the computer, um, and then you could you can make a design on the computer, and then the, the CNC machine actually makes that design with drill bits uh, in a piece of wood or foam or whatever you know material you have that's on the, um, the platform there. Uh, so it's just a, a computerized drill bit is the best uh, best way to look at it. And then the big thing, too, is 3D printing, right? You're adding stuff uh, to print, right? You're adding little layers of plastic to make something. A CNC machine, you're taking stuff away, right? So you'll start with a chunk of wood, and then you'll drill away at it to create a design. Um, and that's what they use to create the the seat supports. Um, they'll put foam in there for the the cushions and stuff like that. And then you can create all the designs on the computer and then send it to the CNC. Gotcha.
1: That, that oh. really explains it Ralph. Well.
2: It's it's good to hear it from my perspective because if you ask a maker or someone who's technically more <laughs> involved in CNC virus, they might explain it differently. But as a therapist, that's exactly how I look at it. And someone who's kind of you know seeing all this stuff for the first time as well uh, in the past couple of years, um, that's the best way to explain it to other therapists for sure.
1: Gotcha. So so you go to the to the adapt shop. And Matt, you go to the Adapt Out, and you're thinking about seating. But then, because you had gone to this webinar and had seen Bill Binko, who is um, the founder of the AtMakers.org, right? He's right. actually been a, a podcast guest on our podcast in the past too. Maybe like the second episode we ever did was with Bill Binko. You you were thinking about assistive technology and beyond just seating, and then the conversation bloomed from there. Is that right?
2: That's correct. Um, so really, what, I think what the big hook for me was, obviously it was 18, and it was making, I was kind of getting into it. Um, but at that time, I work with local, uh, local high schools, so neurotypical children, in STEM programs. And we actually have uh, kids who intern, they go to a, a specialized engineering and biomedical school here in Phoenix called Bioscience High School. Um, and I have interns from the engineering department come onto Excel's campus and make assistive technology. Um, and so I was just getting started with that and reaching out with them and kind of building this connection with that high school Um, and then david talked about his, uh, at challenge and kind of wanting to gear it towards high school kids Um, and it's funny because I brought up bill's name at that time because I assumed oh like he obviously, you know He's listened to bills, you know, he went to at makers oregon and, and was kind of doing what bill was doing but here so I was on board But david was like no, like I just thought this was a good idea and I was like, wow, that's it's pretty amazing um, but that, that's what kind of tied it in. It was exactly kind of what Bill was doing or his kind of message of, Hey, once you get these smart high school kids who have access to all his equipment, they can make this stuff for you. Um, and you just kind of tell them what to make. So.
1: So I love that philosophy. I feel like we have this, uh, uh, this maker movement that is that, that is sweeping the nation, and you have uh, pretty much every school or many schools uh, converting computer labs into maker spaces as they move away from desktops to to laptops or one to one initiatives. And so now you have this space, but what people are making sometimes is just kind of it's not authentic. You know, we're making a, a catapult mm-hmm. to throw pennies. You know, well that's fun and it's cool. It's making and it's better than you know like. Sitting and memorizing a test and spitting out back information, um, but could you turn that maker space and and that maker challenge into something that authentically helps somebody? You know, no one's really looking for a penny thrower. You know, so um, mm-hmm. David, can you talk about it, your challenge a little bit? What are the what's the makers of change KT challenge?
3: Absolutely, you're speaking my language. Um, I often use an example of uh, recently there was an article about google teaching a robot to throw bananas and i'm like oh what a cool like challenge you know you have an oblong object it's something you or i could just pick up and yeah we can toss a banana into a bucket but yeah like you said who does that help like nobody it's like really cool and really fun but Um, You know, the applications are are just not there. So, yeah, how this event started the Makers of Change AT Challenge, I actually went to a local company, a a high-tech construction firm, and I brought one of our pieces of equipment and we asked them, um, can you guys make this better? Can you make it lighter, cheaper, um, easier to produce? And they came back a couple weeks later and said, no, uh, but why don't you get a bunch of smart kids to do it? So that's kind of where the idea of this event started is, you know, there was a gap. We want to be able to serve our kids as well as we can um, and using any resources we can find. And so when they said that, we said, that's a great idea. Let's do it. So we started that Makers of Change um, Challenge basically to do that, to have high school kids, you know, get the opportunity to flex their talents and their skills and apply it towards, you know, people with disabilities, so, you know, the the mission originally, it's like, okay, cool, we can get all these STEM companies involved, we have these kids, but really the mission of the event right now is to inspire these high schoolers to look at AT making as a, a long-term objective for their careers. So, yes, some are going to end up at Intel and Microsoft, but, you know, we want more to kind of get that bug in their system early that... Um, You know, they can, you know, be using their skills and helping people at the same time. And, you know, you don't have to pick and choose.
1: And so, Matt, am I understanding correctly that your students have participated in the challenge?
2: Correct. Yeah. So, um, and this is kind of where it gets confusing a little bit. So I'll make sure I emphasize that um, my students at Excel did not participate in the challenge, but my, uh, my interns did. Yes. I, um, I encouraged, obviously encouraged them. I highly encouraged them to, uh, to join and, and enter. Um, and as one of the judges of the challenge, I, I didn't really kind of, you know, I wasn't giving them any advice or any you know, pointers or sneak them secrets or anything like that. So um, I was just able to FaceTime with their teacher and, and they entered a couple teams. Uh, so This year was our second annual one. Both years, they had a couple teams in there. So um, they were more than willing to kind of um, participate. And, and, you know, they they love all about, they love everything about the challenge. So it was an easy sell.
1: So what were some of the things that they created or solutions they came up with? And not just maybe your uh, interns, but just in general, people who participated in the challenge.
3: The first year, we actually provided uh, three different child scenarios for the teams, and one had to do with a a young child who lacked uh, strength in their neck, so their head is, you know, moving around a little too much. So one of the teams actually developed a headrest that had sensors on the left and the right that could judge the position of the head so that over time, we'd be able to track and show um, improvements in, in strength and stability for that young child. Uh, oh, I love that. So I love that's one that. example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of what we've kind of focused on um, was integrating IoT, Internet of Things technology, so integrating sensors into the equipment and some of the things we're already making so that the therapist can get uh, a view of how the equipment is being used in the field and also how effective it is at actually meeting the um, child's goals and outcomes.
1: Oh, David, that, yeah, we're speaking each other's language because uh, the people that came up with that is, it's sort of like a Fitbit for measuring these little movements, right? Instead of measuring your running, mm-hmm. uh, you're not actually having to collect data. The technology is collecting the data for you. It's just now we're collecting data instead of how many steps you took, it's how many movements were to the right or to the left or whatever mm-hmm. you want to measure, right? I, I, I love that. It makes the, the therapist's job easier. Uh, you're, you're, you can focus on the intervention and not necessarily on the data collection.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, you know, that's where the gap is. You know, we've got therapists with 10, 20, 30 years experience of, you know, working physically with kids, but we don't have anybody on our staff that knows about, you know, internet connected sensors and, um, you know, data security and all that. So that's like where this challenge really comes in. It allows us to work, you know, at a technical level on par with, high tech firms while also, you know, remaining a nonprofit, keeping our costs low and doing what we do best,
2: which is, you know, one-on-one with kids.
1: So Matt, what about your interns? What did they create or was that their project?
2: Yeah. So they were, they were one of a, uh, one of the teams. So th- first year I believe we had six teams and this year we had seven teams. Um, so their ch- scenario that they got the first year was actually to use um, an accelerometer to measure um, how how much an arm moves in space. Um, And then so they, it's actually pretty cool too because different schools obviously have different resources So the bioscience team used more of um, what I would kind of do, right? So they had uh, a lot of fabric and they sewed stuff and they sewed sensors into the fabric and they weighted it down a little bit using uh, like metal pellets and stuff like that, where some teams, they went strictly 3D printing and it was, you know, very, looked very commercially produced, which was awesome to see. Um, But my interns, yeah, they, they use an accelerometer um, to measure the distance. uh, An arm, an arm would move. Uh, So I think their scenario had someone with uh, CP and they're trying to get, know keep the hands down so they can work in a, in a more functional manner um, and try to you know, avoid that you know any arms going up in the air and being in a non functional position um, and then they they actually showed it off there's a maker fest that's held in Mesa which is in uh, you know near Phoenix um, so they went to a community event and kind of showed it off a couple months later um, and kind of you know worked on it year-round so even after the challenge was done we offered it to you know they could try it on some of our high school students here at Excel um, and then, so they kind of kept going with it for the full year. So they got a good kick out of it.
1: And, and so you said there that it grew in the first year it was six, six, teams and now it's seven teams. Is that right? Or was it two teams with coming that again?
2: So the, the first year we had, and David, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. The first team, mm-hmm. uh, we had six teams competing. And then this year, I think we actually had nine teams signed up to compete. Uh, but seven were at the event.
1: Is it local? So, so meaning it's just local high school
2: teams. Correct. At this point, so yeah. So
3: but, uh, you know, one of our goals is to obviously grow the number of teams being involved. And last, the first year we did this, we actually had a local team, but due to scheduling conflicts, they couldn't make it in person. They actually did a video and sent that in and won actually one of the four awards we we gave out. Um, so we're looking for teams from across the country to get involved in this challenge next year. We, we release the challenge, you know, with a video we post on YouTube and the website. Um, so there's no reason that we can't have teams from across the country working on these challenges uh, independently and then sending in their, their solutions or flying in if they've got the resources for it.
1: Well, that sort of kind of led to my next question, which is, you know, where do you see the challenge going next? I mean, you, part of it sounds like moving away from local to being state or even national, um, but what else?
3: Absolutely. So the, the biggest goal that we have is that one of these teams comes up with technology that is complete enough that passes the test of our physical therapist on staff, and we put it into production. Like we want to be able to have tech that is, yes, the challenge is fun. You know, everybody's learning something. It's a great show. But at the end of the day, you know, our ideal scenario is we take a piece of tech and we start using it with children here locally. So to do that, you know, we're thinking, you know, broader reach, again, get teams from across the country involved, get more of the local teams involved, provide more training, more mentorship opportunities for the local teams to connect with professionals um, in like the IoT and the IT fields, um, as well as you know obviously staying in touch with speech and physical therapists, so that solutions are you know practical and geared towards actual use.
1: Well, it makes it makes tons of sense. Like if if it doesn't actually help a, a person or a student with a disability, then it might as well just be the banana thrower right? I mean, it really has to help. somebody. Correct. Yeah.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is, you know, one of the, the other goals that we have is, you know, um, a a challenge in makers, you know, that's great, but really connecting people with disabilities, makers, and those therapy specialists, PTs, OTs, speech therapists together, having those all three groups in the same room, um, you know, can be really, really impactful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let me ask you a little bit more about the, the, the challenge, the Makers of Change Challenge. That's what you call it, right? Makers of Change? Correct. Correct. Um, when does it start and how do people apply?
3: So people can learn more about it at atmakerschallenge.com. It runs every fall. So you're looking at probably the end of September to the beginning of November. It's a six week challenge. We accept applications um, really year round um, for anybody interested. And then we start sending information to the teams uh, beginning of the school year. So out here, that's the beginning of August, um, getting them prepped with the information that they need to be successful once the challenge is released.
1: Fantastic. Is there any cost to to participate?
3: To uh, public schools? No. Uh, we do ask for a donation from some of the, uh, we'll say, better resourced uh, uh, prep uh, and private uh, schools in the neighborhoods, but even that's flexing every year. So what we've done even this last year is we'll charge $100 as an entry fee. We want to make sure teams are serious about committing resources to the challenge, but on the back end, we'll actually reimburse them $100 for the supplies that they used.
1: That makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah, because you could get people that just sign up to say, yeah, we're going to sign up but uh, by by having a little bit of a, I guess, a deposit, right? (laughs) Is a way to think of it, uh, that you have that investment.
3: Yeah, and it works out really well because uh, they have the deposit, so then they're bought in. And we also want these solutions to be something that's affordable for a nonprofit to actually implement. So having that kind of $100 benchmark we want teams to be staying under that with their solutions, because realistically, anything over that is just going to be too expensive for us to expensive for us to implement on a per child basis. So it's so funny. The first year we did this, I had some Intel IoT specific engineers involved, um, and I didn't give them enough uh, clarification on what we were going for, and they had developed a solution and a, a challenge for the kids, um, but the total cost of the parts over a thousand dollars for one child. So we're like, oh, well, you know, I really appreciate, you know, your professional support. Um, but you know, that, that's not a good fit. So we didn't want these teams, especially, you know, better funded schools to be giving us solutions that, you know, just on the price basis would be impossible.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, let me ask if there's people listening right now and they want to get involved, but they're like, I, I don't know, I don't work in a high school with a high school team. Uh, like you said, they can go to the website, but is there opportunities to like, Matt, you said you, um, were one of the judges, right? Is there other opportunities to volunteer?
2: Well, yeah, I think at this point we're, I mean, we're, we want to be open to everybody who wants to be involved. So say, um, you know, if you don't have the resources uh, to join a team, uh, we can look at supplying you with some public resources as well. And You can definitely do a one-man team or one-person team, I should say. Um, and if you want to, you know, come in and, and just be a part of of the event itself. It's a free event, open to the public. We have it at a, a library, a public library down in downtown Phoenix. Um, and I always encourage anybody to show up, um, even even some of my interns who weren't participating in the event, um, but their you know their fellow classmates were. I just said, hey, come down. It's you know. It's on a Saturday, I'll have a good time, and there's free pizza. But yeah, all that's all, any inquiry would go through that website that David mentioned um, and just let us know. We're always looking to grow the event um, in ways that maybe we're not thinking about it. So cool.
3: Yeah, and that extends also to, you know, adults and professionals. If you live in Phoenix and you want to get involved, we actually have a robust committee that obviously Matt is a part of. Matt, honestly, has done as much for this event as I have but we would love participation, whether it's, you know, event planning skills or tech skills or AT skills or PT or OT. Um, Really any professional can get involved and kind of help us reach some of those bigger goals that we talked about, you know, nationwide, going into production, um, just throwing a great event and experience for the kids, you know, get them training, get them mentors. There's so much opportunity around AT and making, as you know, Um, that anybody can raise their hand and they're going to be able to have something to contribute. And we're going to be able to facilitate that.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Well, let me ask you, I like to ask uh, when people come on the podcast, we're always questioning, people who are listening to the podcast are always thinking about like, um, you know, they're wanting to learn more. Right. And so I'm asking, what are you currently questing after? What are you currently wanting to learn more about?
2: So for me, it's definitely a, you know, Improving not only my AT skills um, but my maker skills as well. So one thing that I find very gratifying, I think it's you know a natural tendency for OTs to really just want to want to create things in general. Um, but really starting understanding that you know a lot of this equipment is out there. There's a lot of resources and websites, um, not just bills, um, but like makers making change. Where they they kind of push this whole open AT concept right where hey you can create something you can put it on their online library um, and now anybody in the country or anyone who has access to a library can you know pull it down and, and make it you know utilizing very standardized equipment whether that's a CNC router or 3D printing is more kind of the common one um, or going to different websites like Adafruit and getting like a Raspberry Pi and all of a sudden now you have like a mini computer in your hands um, and it, well, originally I mean. Some of these kids in this challenge, you know, they'll show me what they're making, and actually got it. You know, got some of the equipment, and they were talking about. It. And I have, I have no, I don't even know how to plug this in the computer, right? Um, so learning more about different concepts about technology and, and understanding microcontrollers um, and kind of the the more technology-based maker concepts um, and seeing how it fits in with assistive technology um, and kind of you know improving that area uh, by just some of the equipment that's out there naturally. So
1: cool, and David.
2: Uh,
3: For me, it's kind of like everything Matt said, and you know, kind of taking that to the next level. And I, I really do wonder what is the best way to connect these three groups of people: makers, people with disabilities, and the the therapy specialists. Because I think any two out of the three getting together is great, but if we can find the right way to be connecting all three of those groups in every circumstance, I think that's really where you're going to see more um, impact and on a broader scale. And that's kind of what we do on a small scale, just for kids birth to five. And I, so I always wonder, I'm like, is there, you know, is there a nonprofit that needs to be formed to be able to bring these groups together effectively? Or is something already out there? Is makers making change, you know, exactly what we need? Um, or, or is there more? So, um, as we've had this event as a small part of my job, I've just seen so much enthusiasm for being involved, um, and also so much opportunity. Because all we're really doing is connecting a resource with a need, and the resource is already there, and the need is there. So it's just a matter of saying, "Hey, guys, why don't you talk to each other?" <laughs> so. I wonder like on the bigger scale, I know kind of what you're doing here on this podcast, Chris, really kind of gets at this. But, um, you know, I, I, I see a lot of opportunity and I just want to be able to be a part of it and promote it as, as much as I can.
1: Well, let's get people. Oh, go ahead,
2: Matt. I was and one thing, uh, I have to fit this in, Chris, because I, I learned about it at your trainings, um, that kind of AT making in general, especially the AT maker challenge, uh, it, it goes after this kind of project-based learning. Right? I mean, you give someone a project that has real meaning to it, uh, you get a lot of buy-in. Um, and I remember at, at the, the first meeting for the second season of the Makers of Change Challenge, um, David asked, you know, like, how big do you think we can get? And I screamed, like, we can get 20 teams because I knew the buy-in was that, you know, that high and that much. Um, now, logistically, it's hard to coordinate all that. So that's kind of where we fell off there. But... Um, he, You know, whenever we talk to somebody or I'm recruiting out, there's different organizations that we go to where high school teachers or students, um, they get that buy-in because I think it goes back to that authentic project-based learning that those kids want to be a part of. um, And they want to, you know, make something with all these cool tools that they have and then go and see that change being made. And, you know, high school kids can get a bad rap sometimes, but I think they really, truly, you know, want to make a difference and they will put a lot of time and energy in to make that difference. So... That's uh, definitely one thing I've I've definitely seen um, at a high level doing this challenge.
1: That has been my experience as well. Focus that energy into something positive and the the word again, authentic, um, and the students will rise to the challenge. So once again, can you share the website and then how people would contact you if they had questions?
3: Absolutely. So it's atmakerschallenge.com. So my contact information, David Reno, I'm going to be on there. People can also email me directly at dreno at swhd.org.
2: I I would love to get get as many queries as we can get. And then, um, so my website would be, uh, I just started a a chapter here in Arizona for the Makers Making Change organization, which is makersmakingchange.com. It's a Canadian nonprofit that, does US-based chapters to kind of reach into the United States. And it's kind of exactly what David was talking about, about connecting um, AT users, AT professionals, and then the makers. Um, And they have the online library that they're building, and they also, you know, kind of spread the concept of open AT um, as well as AT making. Um, And then if anyone wants to reach me, it's just mlevac, L-E-V-A-C, at excel, A-C-C-E-L, dot org.
1: Awesome, thank you so much, gentlemen, for coming on this podcast and sharing this, and thank you for all your work you, that you're doing in this space, uh, changing lives, right? Not just people with disabilities, but the people that uh, can help people with disabilities, right? I mean, we're changing the, the future generations of makers and uh, science and technology and engineering and math. Um, it's really putting a purpose behind that, not just to do it to do it. So thank you for that work.
2: No problem, and thank you for this time, Chris. This has been, uh, been awesome. And I'm a fan of the podcast. So appreciate you.
1: All right. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you later.
2: All right. See you. Thanks, Chris.
1: Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.speechscience.org slash speech science podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question, what is communication?
2: You're listening to The Exceptional Podcast Network.